Father in heaven, we pray that as we enter the realm of your sacred word, pray that your Holy Spirit will be here in this place in our hearts, in our minds. Teach us your thoughts. Teach us your ways. And Father, send the Holy Spirit into our life to give us strength to do what we find to be true this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel of Luke chapter 3. We're going to be talking about the baptism, the temptation, and the victory. That's a good order, isn't it? <laughs> the baptism, the temptation, and the victory of Christ from Luke chapter 3 and 4. We're going to be looking at a lot of text this morning. I hope you have your Bible with you. And I hope you have your seatbelts on. We're going to start right out with Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Now, on the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, how often in the New Testament is a time stamp given for an event? Anybody know that? A time stamp as in the year of the reign of a monarch or a king in the New Testament. Anybody? You're looking at it. (laughs) That's it. Why a time stamp here? Why was Luke impressed to stamp a time at this point in his gospel narrative? Interesting. In Matthew... The book of Matthew covers these same topics with the baptism, temptation, and victory of Christ. And in Matthew uh, chapter 4, actually chapter 3, the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, as we read that narrative, we'll be going to that a little bit more, there's a statement made by Matthew in chapter 3, verse 15. I just want to read that, Matthew 4. Anyway, the um, verse speaks about this episode as when John was, John the Baptist was about ready to baptize Jesus. John says that you need to baptize me. But Jesus makes a statement that kind of frames Luke's statement here in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, let's do it this way to what? Fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Here in Luke chapter 3, verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, The Holy Spirit moves upon John the Baptist in his ministry, the baptizing ministry, the call to repentance. And Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And it's interesting that if you look at this concept of to fulfill all righteousness, what is righteousness? Doing the right thing with the right motive at the right time, right? Everything's right about it, okay? It's from the Holy Spirit. In the book of Luke, in this baptism, temptation, 
and victory of Christ. You see the Holy Spirit moving in many different ways in this process. He's driving John the Baptist's ministry. He's driving Christ. He's in the driver's seat, the Holy Spirit of God. In Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy of the 70 weeks. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, there is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, right? To anoint the most holy. Well, this is the moment in time that has come. The end of the 69 years from 457 to AD 27, from the time of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in 457 B.C., for 483 years through the baptism of Christ in A.D. 27, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, right on time, right in the right place, driven by the righteous acts of the Holy Spirit in righteousness to fulfill. Jesus is anointed to begin his ministry. Now it's interesting here, that as we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Now, there's two things that we need to look at this morning to discover why this is the most important topic to be delving into and to understand in these last hours of verse history. What is it about this story of the baptism of Jesus and his temptation and his victory that applies to us? Wasn't this something that happened to Jesus and it's just a good story? Or does it apply to us in some very personal way, very active, dynamic way? First, he was baptized to fulfill righteousness. Jesus was the true Israel. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Every prophecy, every type and symbol. Jesus was the root of it all and the branch, right? Everything pointed to this moment when Jesus began his ministry and his anointing as the Messiah, the anointed one, and his baptism and an example to us, the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form upon Christ there in the baptism. Now what does that remind you of, of the Holy Spirit descending upon someone. It reminds you of the story in Acts chapter 2, right? There was a group of believers, and they were in one place and one accord, and the Holy Spirit, fulfilling righteousness, descends upon the Christian believers, the church, the followers of Christ, and brings gifts to the church empowers the church. Now, it is true 
you have to know that it is true that the Holy Spirit had been working very diligently in every one of those people's life, right? There in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descends, he had been working very diligently in every one of those people's life. He had been working and possessing the very life of Christ up to his baptism as well. Jesus was born of the Spirit. When he was born in the flesh, he was born of the Spirit. Jesus here, as he is receiving gifts for ministry, is our example. Right? After this point, after his wilderness journey, his temptations, his victory, he began to exercise those gifts. He began to heal the healing ministry. He began to do miracles. He began to prophesy, right? He was everything. Jesus got all the gifts. Now, in the New Testament, as far as you and I go, the very interesting point here is that as we are baptized, what is the example of Jesus, the example of the Christian church? What is the example for us when we are baptized in a profession of our anointing by the Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit going to bring to you? He's going to bring gifts. Now, he's been working in your life before that. This isn't the first visit of the Holy Spirit, but he comes and he brings gift. Every member of the Church of Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit with a gift. Not some, but every member in the body of Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit with a gift to give back to the church in ministry. Okay? The example of Jesus. I want to look at how that applies to us in a sermon by Peter right after that event of Acts chapter 2. It's actually in Acts chapter 2 as, he's, as Peter is speaking to the people. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be what? Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. The example of Jesus we're to follow. We're Christians, followers of Christ, right? To be baptized, to receive a gift for ministry. Not for your personal use, but to give back in your integration as a member of the body of Christ and for the evangelism of the world. The second point here, as the Holy Spirit descends empowers through gift-giving to the life of Christ. Now, Jesus did nothing on his own while he was here, right? He said nothing on his own. He only walked according to the Spirit, what the Father told him to say, he said, and what the Spirit drove him to do, he did. He's our example. 
He's our example. We do nothing of our own. If we do something of our own, we're in trouble. I'm going to get into this later. This becomes the center focus. This Sabbath school lesson could not have been planned better to be a part of a conference of how to be prepared to stand. It's divine in its insertion here. Okay, There's another point here that as we go on, we have to discover. And that is the Holy Spirit descends and there is a voice from heaven. Right? Whose voice is that? The voice of God. And the voice of God is making an affirmation. Jesus' public ministry is beginning. He is being anointed in his ministry. The Holy Spirit is bringing gifts, and there is an affirmation from God himself. An affirmation, and God says this. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. That's a nice affirmation. That's, that's a nice affirmation. Is that affirmation just for Jesus? No, it's for each one of us. That is the affirmation that God says to each one of us. Jesus is our example. He's the head of the body. We're the body, right? We follow where the head leads. We are Christians. Jesus is baptized. He receives gifts for ministry and he receives affirmation from the Father. You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Now I want to look at this just for a second. And when I say second, <laughs> it may be a little bit longer than a second. But In Genesis chapter 3, there was a promise given to Eve. And a prophecy was made about the seed of of the woman. Do you remember that? Um, in uh, Genesis um, 3.15. And God was saying, I will put enmity between Satan and his seed and the woman and her seed. Now, depending on what Bible version you have, um, and the reason I know this is because the New Testament makes it clear, Paul makes it clear, is that seed that is being promised is capital S-E-E-D, and it's talking about one person, right? Talking about Christ. Now that promise is again, again given and kind of expanded in its understanding in the book of Genesis to Abraham in, um, in one place in uh, chapter 22 of Genesis, where the promise is given to Abraham that through his seed all the earth would be blessed. Right? And that seed, again, capital S-E-E-D, talking about Christ. The same seed that was talked about in Genesis 3. And as you go through the Bible, you see that that seed is the focus of everything. All prophecy, all types and shadows that focuses on that seed. In Hosea, God talks about that seed 
and calls that seed Israel and calls that Israel his son. You following me? Jesus is the son of God. He is that seed of promise to mankind. He is Israel. And in Hosea, the prophet says, out of Egypt I have called my son Israel. Matthew, using those words, quoting those words, says that so the prophecy could be fulfilled, Jesus went to Egypt, right? Now, if you look at this carefully, I don't have time to go in this in the detail this morning. This is like an hour talk if you look at this in detail. But Jesus comes as a youth out of Egypt. He goes through the waters of baptism. And he comes out of the water into the wilderness for 40 days. Like Israel, coming out of Egypt through the waters. And like the New Testament says, in a type of baptism. Going into the wilderness for 40 years. All right? And then coming into Canaan for ministry. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the beloved son. Now, I want to look at a few texts that expands this concept just a little bit more because we're getting closer to find out why this is the most critical thing to know at this time in earth's history and to prepare to stand. I want to look at a few texts this morning about what it means to be the Son of God. Now, even in the text of Luke, in the genealogy, you know, when Matthew does the genealogy, Matthew's a Jew, he starts with Abraham and he goes to Jesus, right? Well, Luke wasn't happy with that. Luke was not a Jew. So he doesn't stop at Abraham. He goes all the way back to who? For the genealogy of Jesus. He goes all the way back to God himself. All the way through Seth and Adam and God. All the way through. And interesting, I counted those last night. And Jesus was the 77th generation from God. That's probably not an accident. That's the first time I've ever counted those. <laughs> 77th generation from the hand of God. Jesus is that generation in righteousness fulfilling everything. Right on time. Right at the right place. Receiving the gifts for ministry. And affirmation from the Father. Very interesting here. As we look at this, what it means to be called the Son of God. Let's go to Romans first. You know, I have found in my life that um, Romans is huge, very critical. When I was in residency, I was studying the book of Romans, and I actually got frustrated. Uh, anybody here ever get frustrated studying the book of Romans, am I, or am I alone? It can be hard to understand, am I right? It can be hard to understand. And so, this was 25 years ago almost now. I said, okay, I am going to study the book of Romans. And so I read it through. I read it through again. And I kept reading it through. And... I still wasn't understanding it, and so I told the Lord, I said, listen, 
I'm not going to stop reading until I have some understanding here. <laughs> and that, what, man, that was, a, that was kind of an incredible thing to say because I had to read it over 100 times. It took me a long time. <laughs> Doesn't, it's not easy to read the book of Romans, right? It takes a while. It took me almost four months to read the book of Romans over 100 times. But God, and actually by then I had memorized it. When you read anything 100 times, you think about it. Okay? And so Romans, I'm telling you, it's, a, it's an incredible book. It has incredible application to our time in earth's history. And in Romans chapter 6, dead to sin, alive to God. I want to read a few excerpts beginning in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of you or of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Anybody here have any confusion about the word N-O-T? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Sin shall not have dominion over you. Baptized into Christ. Receive the spirit and power and, and ministry and gifting for ministry. Affirmation from the Father, sons of God. Let's go on. In Romans chapter 8. Romans after I read Romans that many times, I realized that Romans was a letter. <laughs> now, how many people here get a letter and just read a text here and there and decide what the letter's about? You can get confused, right? You can get mistaken. But there's some points of a letter that are critical. Some points that you can't leave out. It has critical details. Chapter 8 of Romans should always be included in any discussion in the book of Romans. Any discussion, because it is the pinnacle, the chiastic center of the discussion by Paul on righteousness by faith. It is the main word and what he's really trying to say in Romans chapter 8. Let's look at beginning in verse 12. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And that's not talking about the first death. That's talking about eternal death. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Any confusion about you will. Not you may, but you will die. If you live according to the flesh, 
you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That verse every Adventist should memorize. It is the whole story. You live according to the flesh and the old man. You're on a path of death. But if by the Spirit, the Spirit that drives you to accept Christ as your Savior, Spirit that gives you empowerment and gifts for ministry, the Spirit who testifies as the Word of God that you are now sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Here it is. Listen to this. If you put by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the what? Sons of God. When God is affirming Jesus in his baptism, as he was led by the Spirit to be baptized, to fulfill righteousness, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, led by the Spirit and through the Word of God to overcome temptation, and victory. We, if we are baptized with Christ and are in Christ, then we, led by the Spirit, are the sons of God. In Luke chapter 3, in the genealogy of Christ, you look at that, it starts with Christ and it goes to Joseph, it goes through all of the patriarchs, and some people I've never even heard of, you know, very, very, very vague in the Bible record. But it ends in God. So Jesus was the Son of God, divinely and in humanity. As he followed through the Spirit, he is the Son of God. We, as through the Holy Spirit, if we are born into Christ through the same Spirit, we are the sons of God. Let's look at Ephesians. I love this. Ephesians, chapter 3. I'm sorry, Galatians, chapter 3. Talking to believers, those born of the Spirit, those born again. Those who through the Spirit put to death the deeds of the flesh. Put to death the idea that we are any longer captive to sin. He came to set the captives free. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And all of those promises made to Christ, even his priestly and kingship promises belong to you. We are a nation according to Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 5, a nation of kings and priests in Christ, right? Kings and priests, sons of God. Go back to Luke, chapter 3. Moving into chapter 4. And the clock says I have five minutes left. And I have just now began to warm up. 
<laughs> the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Three temptations. I'm going to cover these. I have to get to a couple points here at the very end. Three temptations. First, I'm just going to discuss them. You guys probably all know these. You can read them and study them. First temptation. And actually the account of, in chapter 4 of Matthew is a little bit different order than it is here in Luke. I like the account and the order of Matthew, as does Ellen White in Desire of Ages. And there's a reason for that. And it's the escalation of Satan's attack that makes Matthew's account of the order of the temptation, I think, a little bit more accurate. All the temptations are there. It doesn't detract from anything. But in Luke chapter 4, there is the Holy Spirit driving Christ into the, into the wilderness, right? Christ is being moved. It's not Christ manipulating the Holy Spirit. Be careful. Some of my Pentecostal friends get that mixed up a little bit. It's the Holy Spirit driving Christ into the wilderness. And to be tempted 40 days, he's there at the bidding of God. Fasted for 40 days, the devil then in that condition comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, verse 3, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus was there under commission of the Holy Spirit, affirmed by God himself with gifts from the Holy Spirit and with an affirmating voice that he was the Son of God. Now this tempter comes, placing doubt in his brain. But he didn't succumb to that temptation. Live by the word of God. Sometimes we, as we go through life, we think there's no way to make it unless we step outside of the will of God. Don't do it. The only way to make it is to stay in the will of God. In the long run, there may be trials, there may be temptation, there may be difficulties, there may be suffering. In the long run, the only way to make it into life is to stay in the will of God. The second temptation, Jesus took, was taken up into the pinnacle of the temple. And Satan said, cast yourself down. God will protect you. Quote Psalms. Quote scripture. He's getting smarter. Hey, you're using scripture, I'll use it. He quotes it out of context and he only quotes part of it. He doesn't say and keep you in all your ways, all the ways of God's bidding. Jesus was in the way of God's bidding where he was in the wilderness, right? Satan was tempting Christ to be presumptuous. To Presumption leads to sin and disobedience. Faith leads to righteousness and doing the right thing. You know, do we sometimes have dietary habits that we know are against our health, but then at the same time praying for good health? Are we being presumptuous? Do we have programs on our computer, our TV, books, magazines, that are causing us to have immoral thoughts, and then we pray for a pure heart? Are we being presumptuous? Does this parable apply to you and I today? It certainly does. In this time when we are being bombarded with the idea, do your own thing, you'll be okay. Watch whatever you want to watch, you'll be okay. God is saying, don't be presumptuous. Maintain purity. 
maintain purity. Worship the Lord. The last temptation. Satan takes Christ on a mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the earth. Bow to me and worship and you can have all those things. Well, you know what? All those things already belong to Christ. <laughs> He's the creator. Even though Adam, kind of the vice regent, lost the princehood of the earth, it still belonged to the creator. Never has left the hands of the creator. All sovereignty belongs to the creator. Jesus is the creator. I want to read a, a verse here. The bottom line is, is that through our life in the spirit, even though we are carnal in the flesh and can do nothing right, whole head is sick. Through the Spirit, God will work into us to will and to do us a good pleasure. He is able to present us without fault. The message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church at this time in Earth's history is not a message of moral defeat. It's a message of victory of personal victory in Christ to overcome sin by the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to read something to you. A quote that I have here. Those who put their trust in Christ. This is from Ministry of Healing, page 175. Those who put their trust in Christ are not to be enslaved by any hereditary or cultivated habit or tendency. Instead of being held in bondage to the lower nature, they are to rule every appetite and passion. God has not left us to battle with evil in our own finite strength. Whatever may be our inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrong, God can even change genetics. Genetics are not above God. We can overcome the power that he is ready to impart. Revelation, understand it. In Revelation, it's about those who have a relationship with Christ by his indwelling power through the Holy Spirit who are victorious overcomers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these words. As you were our example in life, be baptized, to receive the Spirit, to be called the Son of God, to be victorious in every temptation and attack of Satan, so it is to be with us. In this last hour, teach us the way we should walk, and by your indwelling Spirit, give us power and strength to find the way to do what is righteous. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.